This is Chrome Bills, by the way. It's Chrome Bills, y'all. It's Chrome Bills, y'all. It's Chrome Bills, y'all. We built it from the ground floor. Pound for pound as we found a crowdsource. Now you hear a loud roar and a downpour of A.O. from the South. SoundCloud, iTunes, wherever you go. Subscribe and leave a comment. Be a friend of the show. Seize Mike, Steve, Bill, ZK, Chromosome. Want a Chrome Bill shirt? Pay Palace the dough. The intro and the interlude's new. There's something huge in the interview. Who are you? Who are you? True. We'll see through like an x-ray. I pass it to C's with a fabricated segue. So press play and let us send the energy. Throughout the potosphere to all our friends and enemies. Eventually we gotta let it go viral Be sure to stay tuned for the episode title This is that time where I make a quick joke And write a quick note So it ends up on a clip show Yo, this shit's dope Making each F better than the last show Either way I'm staring at Steve's cat's show If this is a road trip, let me hold you down Make that trip from NYC to Chrome Bill South It's Chrome Bill Show It's Chrome Bill Show It's Chrome Bill Show it's Chrome Bill Show. It's Chrome Bill Show. It's Chrome Bill Show. You must want to wanna be in the in the cleanest book of what dragons is the dumbest motherfucker, 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 alive. All is now being recorded. What's up, Chrome Billionaires? This is C's Mike's yet again with another phone boner interview. This time we have Sims of Doom Tree. How are you doing today, Sims? Did you call that a, a phone boner? <laughs> well, it's interesting because when we can get every uh, there's two other co-hosts when we can get everybody together, uh, we do everything via Google Hangouts. And there's times where it's going to be like two or three <laughs> weeks when we're not going to be able to get everybody together. I try to fill in those gaps by hitting up people like yourself and saying, you know, do you want to do like a 30 minute interview, uh, and we'll sure. do them over the phone. So phone that's cool. I didn't know. I didn't know boners would be involved in it. <laughs> you don't have interview. You know what I mean? Time <laughs> You use right. your boner at your own discretion. That's what the okay. is. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, uh, for our audience, uh, I'm sure everybody's familiar with you. Everybody's familiar with you, Why don't you give us a little background? Uh, sure. My name is Andrew Sims. I rap under the name Sims because after, I think, probably a half a dozen rap names, that were all ridiculous and uh, super scientifical. That was the only one that stuck. However, you know, that was kind of before um, anyone would be concerned with, like, search engine optimization. <laughs> I think, like, the most ridiculous, ungoogleable rap name of all time. Um, and, yeah, did that. <laughs> They've just been rapping for the last, oh, I don't know, like, 12 years or something like that, 10 years. My first album, Lights Up Paris, came out in 2005. So, yeah, almost 13 now. Um, so put out maybe, I don't know, a handful, a dozen records with, you know, solo or with uh, collaborative efforts and stuff at this point. Uh, that's it, touring, <laughs> rapping. What was, the worst, uh, what was the worst name that you came up with of those half dozen that didn't make the cut? <clears throat> well, check this out. Okay. The best one was Stat, okay, because it was like the time when I was like freestyling a lot and I was like quick, okay, well, that's terrible still. But like Intrep is a bad one, right? So I was like Intrepid, but minus the id, 
You know what I mean? Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. Do you guys smoke? Do you guys smoke your weed yet? Hang on. Let me just keep going. Uh, <laughs> C the C June C I D A J U N. I was born in October, so I have no idea what the fuck C the June means or what it meant. <laughs> but I was very into that at the time. Yeah, man. Shit. You know, I think I chose all my names while pointing at my own temple. Like, yeah. <laughs> Put the index finger to my head. Mmm. Hip hop. <laughs> pretty good and hip yes hip hop guided me into ridiculous rap shit well I'll tell you what throughout the interview if one of these names pops in your head let me know because we have uh, on Chrome Bills we have a running joke we have a rap group called Different Styles and mm. so we just come up with variations on people's names like for example uh, Sage and B. Dolan have a new group called Epic Beard Men so we have Epic Beard Guys Epic Beard Guys uh huh you guys can be shred dogs. There <laughs> you go. As they, as they pop in your head, let it just throw them on out there, man. Somebody, yeah, hey, one man. of our listeners is keeping a tally. I'm not sure who it is, but at one point we'll list oh. them all. Is, yeah. I, I'm I'm very on board with this. This is all I do anyway, so this is okay. great for me. Very cool. <laughs> now, you recently got back from uh, a run. I noticed that you were playing in D.C. Uh, about a week yes. ago. Um, yes. Was that... That wasn't all a doom tree, right? That was Shredders. So Shredders okay. is Laserbeak, Paper Tiger, POS, and myself. So all of us are in Doom Tree, yes, but it's not. It's not. Uh, I mean, Doom Tree released it and stuff like that, but it's not Doom Tree the crew by any means. It's sort of like a new pop-up side project we made that is just too fun and I think too good to not do. So we're doing that because it's great. So it kind of just popped up because. Steph and I have been talking about making a POS and I talking about making a collaborative record for, I don't know, five, six years, making a re- record together. And uh, the timing just never really worked out or our laziness never really <laughs> meshed correctly. <laughs> and so you get someone to, like, drive the thing, like Laserbeak, who's, like, a perfect, um, you know, captain of the team, basically. He'll, he'll steer it and make sure everything gets done on time and hold people accountable to deadlines and stuff. So he and Paper Tiger made the beats together, and then it was, like, him really kind of putting down timelines for us. And, uh, yeah, it came together pretty quick. And so that's it. And And how was the tour overall? It was great. I mean, for our first tour, right, I mean, it's not our first tour ever, but it's our first tour as Shredders, and we just build it as Shredders. So it was awesome to see, you know, that many kids come out for a side thing. And how many people knew the words was pretty inspiring to us. Pretty red. That's dope. I saw the pictures yeah. that you show at uh, Rock and Roll Hotel, or I'm sorry, at uh, U Street Music Hall. It looked like it was a pretty packed house. Yeah, it was packed. It was Rock and Roll Hotel. Um, but yeah, it was packed for that. It was great. So who's the driving force behind? I know you said Laser Beak sort of gets the ball rolling. Is it a pretty collaborative thing in terms of the concepts, the schedule, and all that stuff? Or is, is one person telling everybody else what to do? He is the guy who basically, so we have like a booking agent, but he's basically, Beak is our manager, right? So he'll like, he's coordinating the schedule. He's like, he's also the, you know, the CEO and like the GM of Doomtree Records. So, you know, like we work on a marketing plan together and we work on executing that together. But as far as the the grand schedule of what Doomtree, the label is doing and what Shreggers, the band is doing, that's pretty much Beak, um, you know being a driving force there. Very cool. 
Um, just for yeah. our audience uh, to, to check out, if you're not familiar with anything that Tins has done, I encourage you, and then you can tell me what you'd like. If they had four and a half minutes to check out something you've done, let me know what you think. The What They Don't Know video by Sims is, it's visually stunning. It's a who's who of Minneapolis rap acts. It's a great song. Uh, the video, I'd say, just I was absolutely sold on seeing the video. What's one thing you'd like everybody to check out? I mean, that's great. I mean, I, that was the first time I ever, like, directed a video, so I was very on board with that uh, call there, Seize Mike's. <laughs> uh, I mean, my favorite my favorite song is probably Brutal Dance off my last album, More Than Ever. It's probably, like, my favorite video song combo. It's not necessarily my favorite song I've ever released, but it's the favorite, like, oh, okay, if you put a video out, people will get this, you know. Which song um, was that? It's, it's Brutal Dance, it's called. Gotcha. Um, kind of interesting, you know, like how that works. Like when you're gearing up to put your album out, you kind of gauge which songs you're going to do based on what you think people are going to react to. And so you wind up picking like, you know, maybe a little bit more of the straightforward stuff or a little bit more of the, um, kind of uh, wider reaching tunes. Um, and that's something I've really been put, thinking a lot about. And, like, I think on my next record, I'm just going to release all the singles are going to be, like, the weirdo deep cuts that I like the most. <laughs> well, it's interesting you mentioned that because what struck me on, there's a nice little pocket on, I'm pretty sure it's your most recent full-length uh, album, More Than Ever. Yes. Um, there's a nice little pocket between Spinning Away, which is very abstract, and then Oakland Ave, is it? Cattle plus? Catalpa, Catalpa, yeah, it's a type of tree, it's a type of tree. It's and in then, the uh, yard. Okay, and then what, what that then goes into is what they don't know. And the, the three of those songs, and it's interesting to hear you say that you directed the video for what they don't know. I mean, your ability to weave in and out of genres within, you know, three songs on one album, let alone one project to the next, is very impressive. Sure. You're an impressive guy. Thank Thanks. Hey, let's keep talking. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, like, I think um, it, that serves me well, and it you know doesn't work to my benefit all the time. But that's just kind of who I am. I think that I've never really been able to stick into one particular type of uh, type of hip hop, or you know, I don't really listen to one type of hip hop. Uh, I like golden era rap music, and I could probably make one golden era rap song ever. And then beyond that, I couldn't make it, you know, I, and I wouldn't want to listen to, you know, a whole golden era rap album in a row, really, <laughs> except for right. maybe Illmatic. Um, and I wouldn't want to listen to, like, you know, some uh, early 2000s Anticon, but I loved that at the time, too. I just, you know, right. I like to dip in and out of everything that we could do and, uh, Whatever. So it's like maybe they sound a little like disjointed or something in that way. Um, but I feel like I wouldn't want to just kind of just play one note. It makes me feel bored. Right. Yeah, I mean, it comes out in the music. And I was going to say one of my favorite things about doing these one-off interviews is that, I mean, I spend the day before, the day of the interview, just, you know, listening to somebody's discography over and over again. And I remember the first time I met you, I was in Baltimore, and I think Lights Out Paris had just come out, but I know that's what you were performing. And to hear I mean, it, the transition to a song like uh, on Bad Times You, Love My Girl, the transition yeah. from it seems like your your worldview of from Lights Out Paris, 
Lights Out Paris to Bad Time Zoo, and I know that there was other EPs in between. It's pretty yeah. stark. Was there something that, was it one, or was it like a handful of experiences, or just growing up, or did you start eating vegetables I mean, more yeah, often? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's all that. I mean, it's like, well, with that record in particular, I think that it was becoming, I was still very angry, but maybe slightly less angry. And also, you know, like I fell in love at that time. It was, everything was good. That time it was good times. You know? <laughs> um, right. So it's kind of a misnomer of an album. But, um, yeah, man, I don't know. It was feeling great at the time. And the difference between Bad Time Zoo and More Than Ever is also just like a way bigger gap in my mind, too. I'm so much calmer as an individual now, you know, so much more, I feel like, refined. Um, and maybe that took the edge off of some of the tunes to some people, but to me it really, like, um, kind of like the, there's a maturation in ideas. Like that they really kind of were un like intellectually uh maybe unsound. <laughs> maybe like freshman in college type of um intellectual ideas, you know, where it's really idealistic but not necessarily logical or pragmatic. And so a lot of my views on the world have sort of shifted as I've gotten older. It's interesting the the parallel between the level of refinement both conceptually and sonically between an album like Lights Out Paris, which, like as you said, came out in 2005 and then more than ever in 2016, which sounds as clean as any pop record as I've heard. Uh, what's sure. the process for your mixing? Or, you know, Do you record everything at home? Are you in charge of that? You put it in somebody else's hands? Right. Well, this was the first album that I ever, like, uh, engineered and recorded myself. And then wow. I had uh, Joe, Joe Mabbitt at the Hideaway um, – he uh, mixed mixed it for me, Bruce Templeton at uh, uh, what did he change it to Magnaphonic. Uh, he also he mastered it. So yeah, Joe Mabbitt has done a ton of work with Doomtree and other kind of Minneapolis artists. I think he just did the new Flatbush Zombies record and some other stuff. I mean, he's doing he does all types of stuff, but um, Joe Mabbitt is like really great and really pushed himself into a new area. He'll kind of like ask you what you want it to sound like going in. And I really wanted it to sound really crisp and really, like, you know, polished in a way. Because some of the subject matter on the record is really heavy, and some of the songs are really heavy. The whole album's about kind of, like, uh, what are you going to do in the face of, like, death all around you? You know, I had people dying around me, um, and my wife was really sick, and it appeared as though she was dying, but it was, like, a really slow, drawn-out process. You know, I had a good friend commit suicide. It was sort of just, like, heavy kind of year and a half. Um, so some of these songs had just really heavy uh, lyrics to them, so I wanted the music to kind of contrast that and be bright. And so that's what I asked Joe to do, and he, like, really, really nailed it with that. It sounds great. I was going to say, you know, the one of the things I, I noticed, Lights Out Paris, uh, there's a lot of very dense delivery of the words. I mean, it just, you know, sheer no, sheer count of actual words is pretty dense in Lights Out Paris. And by the time you get around to more than ever, and you see that sort of starting to happen on Bad Times U2, you do have a lot more fluid uh, weaving in and out of the concepts because there's less words and the, the beat is allowed to breathe more. Uh, you know what that is? Out. Straight up, you know what that is? That shout out to LP for like completely changing my rap style when I was like eighteen, nineteen. I discovered Company Flow, LP, and I was like, oh my god, 
<laughs> you can just say every word. And uh <laughs> and that's what I was doing, you know, and like it was it was awesome. All that like uh indie underground hip hop in that era, you know, it just like it was very influenced by um very inspired by all those people. Um but now I don't know, it's like I I've allowed myself more space, more time to grow and maybe just listen to more I don't know uh commercial hip hop or something. I, I hate to say Have you that noticed that touring I mean, just... but have you noticed it in terms of touring and having to perform the songs live and try to keep it a little bit more, for lack of a better word, deliverable yeah. for breath control and everything? Yeah. You know, here's here's how I uh, actually do the process. I used to write and then put it on a beat. And now I just get the beat and kind of like, like scatter, like find a pattern, you know, kind of like hum around, find a pattern. I'm, I'm writing with a microphone a lot. Like, so I'll grab a microphone and kind of, put the beat on and record a couple of sort of like, you know, freestyles, but they're not necessarily all words. They're, some of it's just, you know, little tunes. And I'll take that and go back and try to, you know, write stuff that kind of makes sense in, into that feeling, you know. So I try to grab like a color first, and then I try to put a shape to it, and then I try to refine what that, what it's going to be. And like the color is more like the, the tone um, kind of like get an idea of the feeling of the beat or what I'm going to do on the beat and then I put a shape to it which is kind of the pattern and then I go in and try to like sketch in some words to make all that work. Yeah, it's interesting you, you mentioned colors because there's a, such a definitive color scheme uh, to the album artwork of your projects in particular. Yeah. You know, like the Bad Times Zoo has, has a very, it's it's a bunch of different colors but more than ever I'll never forget the first time uh, I saw the record cover where it's like a, a, a gold foot stepping in pink paint with it dripping off. Right, it's like a pink background with like a gold, it's like a foot that is like stepped on the like gold tacks and then the foot is peeling up and it's all this like gold paint dripping off the foot, like kind of to indicate, you know, blood or just kind of invoke some um, image of like, you know, perseverance and blah 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 <laughs> so did that come out of I noticed like it, it's actually uh, an image that it seems like it's a pretty quick shot in one of the videos was that did you see that image when editing the video and think wow that makes a good album cover or was that always the plan well actually we just kind of chucked that image into the video that was like we did a photo shoot kind of just to get the cover um, and then we just threw the some of the uh, cut up uh, uh, cut up some of the video from the photo shoot and threw it in there. Like, you know, we had someone there kind of just documenting the day, snapping photos and taking little videos and stuff. Because um, my initial, what I wanted to do was get gifts out of all the photos that we were taking. Um, but it didn't wind up working out the way it had planned. We still used some of the stuff. Um, but yeah, that foot thing was just kind of like another, we, like, uh, Andy Lund and Romany Chan and I kind of came up with a shot list. Um, we maybe constantly like 10 or 12 or 15 photos. It was a little bit more than 15 photos that we wanted to take. And then we just kind of like got all the stuff, set up the sets, and uh, Colin Michelson shot it. And that foot one was just sort of a not really going to be the cover. You know, we, we tried five or six different things that I thought would would have been the cover, but they just didn't turn out, you know, the way... <clears throat> I thought they would, or you know what I mean? Like it just, 
That's why right. I shot so much stuff. Um, and I was trying to stay fluid and open to, you know, whatever worked the best. Um, you know, ideally, I was like, people are trying you know, to tell me to be on the cover. You know, like, I'm not on the cover of really any of my records. <laughs> like, your face should be on the cover. Right. You know. But I, I don't know, man. I'm not really, I don't really care. <laughs> well, really do you, that. is that, it's interesting because I've heard some people say, oh, you know, it helps with sales. Have you noticed it influences <laughs> things one way or the other for you? Well, I don't know. I put a fucking foot on the cover of my album. So. <laughs> <laughs> You're big with the pedestrian crowd. Bro, I am just not, I'm clearly not thinking about that. I'm not in that zone. Um you know, I don't know what the fuck to say about that. I mean, right. I just, I try to care about business stuff, but I only can care so far because at the end of the day, you know, I'm making like weirdo underground rap. <laughs> I, I don't need to make like I don't need to make like uh, Taylor Swift decisions here. Well, if Taylor Swift were in Doomtree, what would you learn about the inner workings of how you know <clears throat> project schedules, you know, all come together and touring stuff? Is there a pretty streamlined? approach to it or does it just happen as it happens it kind of it's kind of uh a and b um we have we usually come up with like a you know like a one year two year type of plan um and schedule it out for okay this is what we think we're going to do this is kind of quarter one through four of each of the next two years um but ultimately it comes down to who gets albums done or who gets a book done or who gets a whatever project they want to do done and whenever that happens then we just do whatever we can do to facilitate that there's like some stuff you have to wait for um like you know we have to hit i think it's 16 weeks for our distribution um you know if we want to do vinyl it's like like 12 weeks to print the vinyl and then they need to hold it for four weeks before it comes out so you know usually when you turn a record in it's about six months seven months before the thing comes out um right but you know we're kind we're of like playing with the idea of doing just some just digital releases coming up and whatever. So that would really speed up the process. Um, but as far as, like, the order of who gets to go win, it's really just about who's who's doing stuff. Um, we don't usually have more than, like, two or three albums on deck, like, that are <clears throat> sitting there done. So it's not like there's a huge process of, like, oh, that album doesn't even get to come out in the next two years. Like You don't have, like, a death match yet. with... You don't have like a death match with no. Slaughter and Death as who gets the record. Right, no. right, and there's no like there wouldn't be a priority necessarily. Um, but you know, then it would come. You know, if it was like two people who have records done, it would kind of come down to like, what does your touring schedule look like? Do you have show? You know, do you have stuff that is kind of like album reliant? And what can we do to make that work? And if we had to release a couple albums in, uh, you know, a year or even a quarter, I don't think that would kill us. Uh, we try to stay really fluid about what what the business is doing. The business is really just here to facilitate the art. I mean, the art is not here to facilitate the business. We're not here to like make a ton of money off album sales as Doom Tree, but we are here to like try to prop up our artists and push them forward as hard as we can. So, well, speaking of Doom Tree, I, I read that you were the last to join. Is that accurate? Yeah. It's yeah, crazy. It you know, which you, sometimes you read stuff. I, I came across this on Wikipedia. It said every member of Doom Tree went to the same high school. Is that true? It's not true, but it's semi-true. I think that four of us, three of us went to the same high school. Four of us went to the same high school. 
And Mike McLaughlin was there for like one semester. So four out of the seven. Okay. Um, yeah, me, me, Laserbeak, Seaslaughter, and Steph, well, POS, all went to Hopkins High. Um, okay. And then Mike McLaughlin was in South Central and kind of a fresh Prince of Bel Air type situation. Got kicked out of there, moved to Minneapolis for, for one semester, and then got kicked out of his uncle's place and <laughs> had to go back to California. Okay. So we met him that one semester he was at Hopkins. Yep. And then, like, uh, MK Lorado, who used to be in Doomtree, and Paper Tiger, who's still in Doomtree, they both went to Arts High. Destin went to, like, Southwest High in Minneapolis. And, yeah. Very cool. That's, that's pretty amazing. I mean, I've always been pretty blown away by the amount of talent that's come out of the Twin Cities, but to know that that many members of Doomtree all came from one place or one, you know, or one or two kind of places, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, hey, it's... It's cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> um, one other thing I noticed, and I could be wrong about this, is I listened to your entire discography and now talking on the phone. I don't think I've ever heard you curse. Is that something you consciously steer away from, or am I wrong about that? Oh, like in the albums? Yeah. I don't really swear in the album, because I think it weakens the thing. I will swear if it really furthers the the point. You know, if I really need to drive something home for emphasis. However, I feel like I can find a, you know, a better word. All that is done with the, you know, with with time, right? You know, I don't have the presence of mind in like a, you know, conversation like this to not swear. I'll swear all the time in a conversation like this because I'm not as sharp as I am when I'm sitting down and can slowly get to what I'm trying to say. I don't know. I, I, it's not like I judge people who swear or whatever. I just or like I'm trying to do a kid's album. I just uh, right. think that there's like a more, I don't know, I think there's a, a more efficient way to get to what I'm trying to say. Sometimes it absolutely like, stands out. And I was going to say, it absolutely it stands out. Bit. Yeah, and that's why I was like, if I leave them out, then when I put them in, they'll be like, they'll be substantial, you know? Fucking A. Fucking A. <laughs> uh, a couple other things I picked up on. So, False Hopes 4, which is an older EP uh, that you had, yeah. actually pretty, really old. It seems like uh, it's interesting as I was listening to that and then thinking in today's climate of, if I understand the song correctly, it seems like it's sort of touching on uh, immigrants. Uh, yeah. Is, is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, definitely been talking about that for a grip. I have a song called Pain on Mine on False Hopes 14 as well that's like about uh, kind of like the stimulus rebate check that we were getting and kind of this like I don't know maybe tied a lot of kind of wove a thread between uh, politicians and their attitudes towards um, the people in this country whether they be the citizens here and when you're sending them money or when we rely on immigrants to do it for us because everyone's, we're in a fat time and we're feeling good and so we don't need to work so hard so we can replace that with cheap labor and not care about them and you know, it's been all this has really been a present in my life for the, you know for all of it. I think about that stuff all the time. It's interesting. It's sort of tied. There's an interesting thread that you tie between the disposable aspects of the culture and then the disposable aspects of the labor that immigrants present. And then it's, it, uh, you say basically once they've you know contributed as much as they can to the economy, they've been squeezed dry, and then you want them to get out of here, including their kids. What's your take on? And it's only in like, it's only in like good times, right? Like in the good times, where 
you know, in bad times, we're asking them to get the fuck out, you know, demanding that they get the fuck out. And they're starting to blame all, all of, you know, society's, white society's problems on them. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, totally fucked. <laughs> but it's been that way. It's an interesting time right now because it feels like it's back in the popularized media, you know, and there's all this attention on a border wall when there's no attention on, like, I don't know, say, uh, gun control laws. Right. Um, you know, we're spending, you know, so much attention and money on, uh, it's like a distraction, you know, it's, it's a weird, like, piece of race baiting and, uh, sort of senseless. I noticed that, so we're recording this, uh, February 15th, so the day after, I mean, sadly, ironically, Valentine's Day and also the school shooting, uh, you know, another AR-15, uh, another disgruntled kid who's got mental <clears throat> health issues. And so I noticed on, uh, on Twitter, you know, you were pretty quick to, to react and say, you know, this is the 18th, uh, in 45 calendar days, this is the 18th, you know, shooting, or school shooting. Yeah. And it seems like it's epidemic that as I went back and looked through some of those, I, I was blown away that I, you know, I'd either forgotten about some of them. Do you see, what's it like out in Minnesota in terms of gun control or people's perspective? Well, I mean, to be real with you, I'm kind of insulated in my, like, hyper-liberal bubble of the Twin Cities. But I do know that as soon as you get out of here, <clears throat> like, you're in, you're in Trump country as soon as you leave the Twin Cities metro. I mean, Minnesota's a very, like, liberal and progressive place and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, about 25 minutes outside of any big hub of people, it's just, it's Trump country. And it's big guns, big hunting and fishing and stuff. So, I don't know. I think people are super opposed to gun control here. Because they're worried, for whatever reason. <clears throat> like, it seems like nationwide people are worried that, you know, someone's going to come and take their guns. And then after they do that, then the government's going to control them and they're going to have no say in what they're doing because, like, all these liberal cucks are going to come, like, gay marry them. And like, <laughs> I think there's some kind of, like, irrational and deep fear to that, um, you know, when I don't think that they realize that, like, you know, the fucking government has drones. Like, <laughs> your AR-15 right. ain't going to do anything right. for you. But good luck. But... You know. Like shooting the pea shooter at the sun. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like, like, Amendment 2 is, is cool, but it's sort of antiquated. It doesn't make sense. Or we should have, we should all get drones then or something. Right. Because <laughs> there's no way that this is going to help you against the government being overly tyrannical. Well, that, well, it's funny. There's two things. I, I mean, anybody who thinks the government's going to come take over their lives, count how many potholes that you run over the next time you're driving. I don't no know this. You know, maybe the federal government is capable of, of executing something like that, but I, I mean, I don't know. It's it's pretty it's pretty frightening uh, people's reactions to things. But I think the other thing is that they react to the guns or the manifestation of the bigger problem. The bigger problem, the actual disease, not the symptom, is mental health issues. <laughs> and I wish that yeah, it is. However, I don't know. Like, okay, you said you were following my tour today, or whatever, but like. There was, uh, you know, some kind of not so credible source posting a infographic. Like, I think it was Andy Richter or something like that, posting some infographic. And I'll pull it up, but I don't know the source material of it. But it was like gun death data by country. 
and it was uh pretty startling. Like Australia had a gun ban, I don't know when, a while ago, because they had uh, problems with gun deaths. Um, and since then, like their gun violence has gone like th- you know through the floor. Um, you know they they show this infographic of like homicides by firearm per one million people. You still there? Million people in Australia, 1.9 in Germany, 4.1 in Sweden, um, Canada's 5.1, U.S. is 29.7. It's like 30 people out of every million get killed every. I mean, it's just crazy. Right. Uh, how how much gun violence there is here? I don't think it's just mental illness. You know, it is mental illness, but you give them implements to kill a fuck ton of people very fast, and. Uh, you know, like, there's no reason to arm mental illness. Right. Well, I, I think that's another thing is that there's any issue this complex and wide-reaching, there's never just one explanation. If there was, it would probably go away. You know, it's a combination of things. But it's interesting, your point about what happened in Australia. I mean, they had a mass shooting, uh, I want to say it was like 25 years ago. And after it happened, the prime minister was like, well, that's that's that. <laughs> you know, we're going to get rid of this shit. And yeah. You know, you would think something like that would happen, you know, in the states with the special interest uh, is, is just not going to allow that to happen. I think there's some validity to an armed citizenship, you know, to keep them able to defend themselves against the government. But I think it's just gone way overboard. Yeah, I mean, it has. And, you know, I'm not necessarily, like, I, I'm very, like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think anyone's, like, you know, out of bounds or out of, you know, out of mind for saying they, you know, believe in uh, being armed. That's totally their prerogative, you know. I just personally don't see the point because I don't think that the, you're going to be safe from the government if you have a gun. Right. <laughs> I don't think right. you're. I don't think you're fleeing clear from any of the problems that we face or like your fears or whatever because you have a gun. And that, you know, whatever. It's like the zombie apocalypse sounds tight, but it's just not coming. <laughs> so there's really no other reason to have it, you know. Um, I don't know. Whatever. We can talk about rap music again. Yes. Well, I want to something a little bit more lighthearted. I don't know how much how big a football fan you you are. What was uh, your area like with the Super Bowl being in town? You know, I was uh, luckily I was on tour, sure, so I didn't have to like deal with the whole thing. I would have liked to see some of it, but uh, we got back at like. Five o'clock. We got back at like kickoff time on Super Bowl, Super Bowl day, and uh, yeah, I, I guess it was crazy. I think it was cold as fuck, as I as I recall, and uh, I think that that was really shocking to you know Ray Schwimmerd and uh, Future. Future's <laughs> coat was incredible. I don't know if you saw it. But it was like a like a floor length reflective silver big right. puffy coat. It was incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. I asked this for any Minnesota artists that we've had on here, just when I talked to them. Is the cold something that you're just completely used to now? You grew up in Minnesota, right? Yeah, I did. Uh, I'm used to it. I don't really care for it. Um, you know, it's not like my it, my favorite weather. <laughs> I like it, though, for like a good month. You know, I like, you know, maybe mid-December to mid-January. That's a good time. And then... 
after that is like this like brutal fucking cold that you're like, oh my god, get out of my like you know that cold just gets like buried in you. You almost are like never warm <laughs> for like two months. Um, but this place is great in the summer. It's like an incredible, you know, incredible beautiful place. Um, it's just like living on Planet Hoss uh, for a few months a year. <laughs> right. <laughs> what was the animal that Luke Skywalker cut open and crawled inside? I'd imagine those are that's, that's called a tauntaun. It's a space kangaroo. Tauntaun. A tauntaun. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny. A couple, I and mean, this is a while ago, but I was considering moving out there. And yeah. I, was hang, I was hanging out with a friend. Uh, they were like, yo, let's go to this bar. So we walked three blocks uh, in November from their place to a bar. When we got to the bar, I was like, absolutely fucking not. I mean, I was oh, literally yeah. frozen to the bone. Yeah, you, I mean, yeah, it's not, it ain't pleasant. Um, it's definitely a whole thing. And you got to get used to it. But I think that, that like, I don't know, for, for me, I don't personally give a shit because I'm just kind of like uh, free from distraction that way. And just in this lock, locked in the studio. Um, there's not much I go do. It's not like summertime, I like fuck off. I go like, oh, it's nice out. I should be out, you know, barbecuing or, you know, whatever, rolling around and just, you know, enjoying this weather and being outside. It's like, it is a reward that way. Cause in the, from like <laughs> basically mid October to like mid April, I'm just in, in the studio. Right. That might well, be, no. like, some of the secrets of the music out here. You know, like, might be why it's, like, I mean, it's all fine or whatever, but some of it gets a little, like, serious, a little, sh- little depressed, a little heavy. <laughs> yeah. You know, other than Prince, who he was all those things, too, but he was just, he found his own way of, like, freaking it, making it all fun. Right. <clears throat> but, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I heard Brother Ali say this once where he, you know, he said that the weather being something that you have to constantly deal with, you know, if it makes you really realize how much you enjoy the Twin Cities if you decide to stay there and deal with that on a, you know, pretty regular basis. Sure. Yeah, man, I don't know. It's cool. It's it's fairly diverse in Minneapolis. I, I wish for more diversity. I want, like, tons of cool people to keep moving here and, uh, I don't know, keep making this place awesome. I kind of feel some kind of... Um, pride for my place and some kind of like, uh, like I want to be like a representative of my city, you know? So I like kind of talk highly of it when I go around the country or whatever because I want to put on for it. There's a lot of great people here, a lot of great music here. You know, stuff that, you know, like people on a national scale will probably never hear a ton of this stuff because it's, you know, because we're here. We're in the middle of like nowhere. <laughs> Like, well, it's been pretty inspiring to see that, you know, how far you've come, how far Doomtree has come. Uh, you know, you guys definitely have laid the groundwork for a lot of people coming up behind you guys, you know, not just from Minneapolis, but from cities, you know, that are New York or L.A., uh, you know, sure. places where people, you know, it's fine. I'm 38, so when I'll talk to, you know, my parents or family members, and they're like, oh, I didn't know Minnesota had a rap scene. Why would they? But, you know, in 20 well, years, course, people won't be saying and how could you? But, you know, like, there's a strong independent spirit here, you know, like, we, like, <clears throat> we saw what Rhyme Series was doing. We saw also what, like, you know, Anticon and Def Jokes and, you know, other indie labels were doing at the time, Strange Music, whoever. And you're like, oh, wow, you can just do this. You know, you can just, just 
to, you know, get a couple hundred dollars from a show and save that for a little while, then you can print a CD and then you can sell that CD and take that money and keep flipping that money, you know, and trying to figure out how to build your own company. You don't need, like, a huge investment to, to make it happen. Um, you know, I think that's, there's, like, some sort of mental barriers to entry for people. They feel, like, so alienated, so isolated from the industry I mean, really, you don't need, like, a whole ton of resources to make it happen. Well, one of the things, you know, a resource that you absolutely do need, and, you know, <laughs> what they don't know video, I think, is such a good example of it. They're sort of like a older brother, you know, or older, you know, member of the family vibe to Ryan Sayers interacting with Doomtree. It's not like a crab in a barrel sure. thing that you see, you know, in other areas. Is that is that something you guys actively, you know, worked on or just sort of happened over the years? You know, it just sort of happened. Like we're, we know those dudes. They they're friendly to us. We're friendly to them. Um, there's certainly no like bad blood. There's certainly no amount of um, overly helping each other. But I think that there's like, uh, you know, we we show them respect because they're like really uh, blazed the trail. You know, we got to also establish ourselves off that. You know, and. uh but I think that the way we behave about that, I think that this is reflectable too. I don't think that we've ever really tried to catch their wave entirely, you know, being respectful of boundaries and all that, blah, blah, blah. Let's put our heads down and work hard and, you know, see what else happens. Um, so I think that from that, that's kind of the foundation of, like, the respect. But, you know, beyond that, it's not like we're hanging out with Rhyme Sayers artists all the time or anything like that. It's just sort of... Um, just like generally, that's how it works. But you know, if I hit up any of those dudes, they'll come through for anything. I want to, you know, come over, hang out, whatever, make songs, because you know they're just good dudes. Right. Absolutely. Uh, well, what what do you have coming up? You mentioned something about air credits. <laughs> yeah, I got a new project on the way. I'm not quite sure. We just finished it. Um, it's called. It's <laughs> okay. Here's where I'm going to continue to not make money at seas. I'll tell you this. <laughs> It's called <laughs> it's called Arteria Verite, which is like a play on cinema verite, which means like uh, you know hyper real style movies, um, except um, of artery like connection, blah blah blah. It's a very weird record set in like uh, a future like next week's future dystopia, like a very near future dystopia. Um, and sort of got like Mad Maxi vibes to it, and it's really cool. Air credits and myself and Ice Tap just kind of like pulled away like like last January or something like that, and just like banged out a record. And yeah, we finally got it mastered, and we're gonna put it out sometime here in the next six months. That's awesome. And so, for anybody listening that's not already familiar, or if you are familiar, it's S I M S one S one M. Uh, I'd imagine it's that way on Twitter, Off Instagram, all the S-I-M-S, one M. Fantastic. <laughs> Listen, I appreciate <laughs> you taking time. I know get, I know, getting home from touring everything, sometimes you want to have a little time yourself. I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to talk with us. Today. Oh, it's all good. I, I, I got tons of love for you and uh, the squad out there. Um, anyway, big up yourself. Word up. Next time you're coming out here, let's get together and grab a drink with my babies. You know we will. Get some sleep. Okay, word. You know we will. All right, now. I appreciate it, man. I'll talk to you soon. Hey, later, Cole. Peace. Peace.